Please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, and we read the first 20 verses. Luke 2, beginning with verse 1, listen then for the voice of God. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the babe who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen them, seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The word of the Lord. You know, maybe it's all those creches on front lawns and coffee tables. Or maybe it's due to illustrated children's Bibles. Maybe it's just because I never thought it might be any different. But I always pictured Mary and Joseph arriving at an inn late at night. The sky inky black, the stars twinkly, and the only light a flickering oil lamp. And in my imagination, the inn is a square adobe structure with a couple windows and a thatched roof. And Joseph sheepishly knocks on the wooden door. 
as Mary eases herself down off the donkey with a wince. The innkeeper comes to the door in his robe with tousled hair stuffed up into a nightcap. He wants to help, but he looks over his shoulder and with a shake of his head and a shrug, confirms that he just doesn't have any spare rooms. You get the idea, maybe you thought the same. Joseph looks down at his dusty sandals, his shoulders slump. There's a chill in the air. And he's just about to muster up the courage to plead when the innkeeper brightens with an idea. Hey, 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 look, you, you could go out back to the stable. You can build a little fire. The hay's dry. You could sleep on that. It, 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 it's better than trying to travel further in her condition. And so Jesus is born in a barn of warm, worn woods, wood, soft lights, gently lowing cows. At least that's the way I pictured it, given all of those creches in front lawns and on coffee tables. However, While in Israel, I saw that everything was stone, white, sun-baked, broken, hard scramble stone, big boulders and chipped pebbles, rock-faced cliffs and stone caves. There was, there was tillable soil, but mostly, most everything was stone, was rock. And while in Bethlehem, a Palestinian woman, Claudia from Magdala, Claudia Magdalene, literally her name, Claudia told us that chances are Mary and Joseph showed up at a cave with a structure towards the front where the family ate and slept and lived, but toward the back of the cave was the place where the animals were kept, with stone troughs. So Bethlehem is in the West Bank Hills. There's a sort of geological logic to Jesus being born in a stone cave. And quite frankly, the word translated as in, oftentimes it's translated as in in, our, uh, in this text, can better be translated as lodging place, meaning the place where the people slept. And given that the front of the cave was probably already full of folks who were in town for the census, Joseph and Mary were offered the space in the back where the animals were kept at night. Jesus was probably born in a cave dwelling built into the side of a West Bank hill with animals 
being sheltered from night predators. I guess how it happened doesn't really make a big difference. But it serves as a reminder that God in Christ is born in a particular place at a particular time with the particular idiosyncrasies that make things particular. As my friend Father Tory Lightcap puts it, it is in one sense a very great scandal that God should choose a little boy, a baby, in some cave somewhere in which to be seen, in a time and a place to which we can point on a map or on a calendar. It's outrageous as it is sublime. The stink and spittle of animals, the blood of birth, dirt floors, uncertainty, terrible humility. It's outrageous as it is sublime. There's a mystery here beyond imagination and fairy tale. God, born as Jesus with the DNA of Mary. God, born as Jesus with the DNA of the Holy Spirit. The very breath of divinity coughed out of the lungs of a newborn with a tiny little bottom wrapped in cloth in the back of a cave. God as flesh on stone. So if you went to Bethlehem today, you'd have to navigate military checkpoints and young people with machine guns. But eventually you'd come to the Church of the Nativity. Tradition places it atop the site where Jesus was born, the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. And then down a skinny set of stairs in a cramped basement grotto, you'd stoop down, peer in, to see a 14-pointed silver star set into a marble floor surrounded by silver lamps. It's the birth site. And then you're nudged forward to another marker marking the site where Mary laid the newborn in a manger. The Orthodox Church manages the birth altar. The Catholic Church manages the manger altar. But for almost 2,000 years, Christians have come to this site believing in and looking for evidence of the divine. When I was there, it was standing room only 
as Ethiopians, Eastern Europeans, Southern Baptists, Brits, and Hispanics, Catholics, and Pentecostals were all wedged together in the basement hallway with cameras in hand, hoping to get some sense, some feeling, some hint that God had been there. And that, that, dear friends, is part of the wonder of Christmas. We're gathered not because of an idea, a creed, or a confession. We're gathered not just for music and family traditions, no matter how beautiful. We're gathered together because in a particular place, at a particular time, God became mass and matter. God took on cells and cellulose. We're gathered in the mystery that God slipped in among us. And there's a specific context and a specific cast of characters. There's those bean counters conducting a census to expand the tax rolls for Caesar Augustus. There's the calloused hands of a confused carpenter and the swollen ankles and sore back of a pregnant woman traveling 90 miles by donkey a stone feeding trough as a makeshift cradle, gasping for breath in labor, and a mother peering over her belly for a glimpse of the baby. God, umbilically tied to a poor Hebrew girl. Henry Langnecht gets at it this way. Mary didn't give birth to an avatar or a name or an idea. Mary didn't give birth to a host of representative samples of humanity's diversity. Mary gave birth to one human baby with annoying specificity whose annoying specificity warns us and protects us. First, from worshiping only our favorite icons. God in our image. And second, from worshiping only the cosmic Christ, the eternal logos, or any other philosophical tag in whose inscrutability we can claim Christian unity. Rather, Jesus already and only looks like Jesus. Jesus already and only looks like Jesus. The incarnation is a scandal because of its specificity. God became this and not that. God took male shape not female shape. God is a Hebrew, 
and not a Native American. God is poor, vulnerable, and tossed aside. Not middle class, powerful, safe. The annoying specificity. You're still with me. On Christmas morning. The annoying specificity of a God who is not just some universal cosmic Christ, but God with fingerprints, is scandalous. And yet in the words of Wes Granberg Michelson, the God who brought billions of galaxies into being chose to enter into earthly human life as a vulnerable baby. And if this is true, then every human life is given a point of contact with the Creator. Then the God who brought everything into being is not some remote, distant force far removed from our daily lives. Rather, then this is a God who does the miraculous in order to be with us. And every human life can be impregnated with the divine presence. Every human life is given a point of contact with the creator. I like that. Not only is there specificity of God in Christ, but there's the specificity of God and you. Back to our text. When announcing the birth to the shepherds, the angels say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. Now in Greek, the personal pronoun you here is plural. It has the sense of all y'all. But this personal pronoun is also in the dative case. Now, nothing screams Merry Christmas like a little grammar lesson. But English doesn't have a dative case, but Greek does. Well, what's a dative case? The dative case is reserved for things that come directly to another party. The dative would be used when I give a gift to you or I pull you aside to say something directly to you. The dative is personal in a sense that something is being directed quite specifically your way. The emphasis or the exclamation of the dative case is that the action is specific to you. So the announcement of the angel is not a generic all-purpose bulletin. The announcement is personalized. The good news is for you. Listen to the announcement again. Do not be afraid. I bring you 
Good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. This will be a sign to you. Bring you. Born to you. Sign to you. The scandal is not just the annoying specificity of God, but the annoying specificity of you. This good news of great joy is for you. God with you. God for you. God beside you. God in you. Each of you. All of you. Martin Luther put it as a question. I'm almost done. Martin Luther put it as a question. Of what benefit would it be for me, be to me, if Jesus would have been born a thousand times and it would have been sung daily in my ears that Jesus Christ was born, but that I was never to hear that Jesus was born for me. Dear friends, between that which is outrageous and that which is sublime, may we know that God came not as a proposition, but as a person born in a stone cave and nailed to a wood cross. For you, and in that, may you know peace, real, eternal, tangible peace. And in that, may the world know peace, real, eternal, tangible peace. And no matter how it happened, may that love slip quietly and unmistakably into your particular life, even on this particular morning. Amen.